In today's episode of VFM, we're talking to Ian McQuaid, CEO of Muse Advisory, about what value for money means to him. Hello and welcome to the 24th, yes, 24th episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast. And as ever, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, the one and only Nico Aspinall. And you're currently in France, Nico. I am, yeah. Um, I'm taking advantage of a bit of time off to do some building work. So uh, I've been covered in dust uh, for three days. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, it's good you, you know, it's nice that you have a break to join us on the podcast and it gives you your, <laughs> gives your back a bit of a rest, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, welcome, everybody. Um, and I, of course, couldn't be happier to be doing uh, another VFM with you, Darren, Darren Phil. Uh, Darren, did you enjoy the, the cricket yesterday? I know you weren't there, but... Uh, and, uh, I, unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to the first day of the um, the Oval Test um, oh, in fantastic. a few weeks' time. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but I always enjoy cricket. You know, there's nothing <laughs> better than a day out at the cricket. Um, well, ho- hopefully there'll be some competition left for you to, to observe. At the well, end. maybe, maybe. We'll, 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 we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm always glad with England these days that you get tickets on the f- for the first day uh, because, you know, <laughs> having tickets for the fourth day is a bit risky um, now. <laughs> but, but anyway, anyway. Um, so uh, today we're delighted to be joined by Ian McQuaid. Um, as Nico said, who's CEO of Muse Advisory. And and is it right to sort of call you independent third-party evaluators, uh, Ian? Yeah, that's part of what we do. We are uh, we are governance consultants for pension schemes. So we work purely with the, the buy side of the industry, whether that be trustees mostly or corporates when it comes to things like master trusts, but um, help them whether it's third-party evaluation, um, governance, board effectiveness, and... Uh, and occasionally the odd uh, the odd piece of, of outsourced pensions management as well. Oh, cool, cool. You must be a very busy man at the moment. Um, so welcome, welcome to the pod. Um, um, I Thank was doing you. my research and was looking at your bio on um, your website, and um, perhaps you can explain what mammals is. M A M I L S. Slightly confused, but you know, um, perhaps um, you know what what is it and what do you do. Uh, very good. So um, I'm probably more of a more of an OAIL now um, because uh, it, it mammal is a middle aged man in lycra. Oh dear! Um, oh gosh! I, yeah, exactly. There's an image that you didn't really want in your mind, <laughs> isn't it, Darren? Um, so I um, I like to get out on the bike and cycle around the uh, cycle around the Chilton Hills where I live, just north of London. So uh, well, I, 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 I haven't discussed this with you yet, Nico. Um, but perhaps we can change our logo for this this um, this uh, th- this particular podcast, yeah, um, just for this episode, and get a, a picture of Ian in his lycra. Or, or will that oh. be too much for our listeners? Well, I thought you uh, said because you... uh, we, we, we have a rule, Darren, which was that we don't split, uh, don't swear, so that we don't have to list um, as explicit on your podcast <laughs> platform. So I don't know, Ian, is, uh, do you have any non-explicit lycra photos? <laughs> Um, such a thing ones from a very long way away. <laughs> ones from a very long way away. Yeah, 
absolutely. No. You don't need that in your lives, and neither does anyone else. I think we need to swiftly move on. Uh, but Ian, <laughs> right, I was going to. I was just going to say, so Ian, Ian and I worked together at uh, Towers Watson. Um, so I'm a little surprised you haven't included that in your bio and, and Darren hadn't focused on that. <laughs> well, I think it's in the, it's in the bio somewhere. It's, uh, yeah. it, was, it was a good, it was a good few years and uh, yeah, we had, we had a lot of fun. We did. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so, um, yeah, it's great to have you on the pod, Ian. Um, and as ever, we'll start with the news. So what have you got for us? Um, so my my piece was um, was something that was in professional pensions earlier in the week about um, Barnett Waddingham have, have commissioned some research. And apparently, according to this research, the, uh, more than a third of UK adults say they have made changes to how their pension is invested. And this is up nearly or it's up over 100 percent since 18 months ago when they last did this research so, and hold, hold, hold on a minute like 36 percent of people have changed their workplace pensions investments this is what the research says this is oh, what me. the research says and and i'm clearly that's that that is the that is the outcome from the research but Given all of the schemes that I've worked with and all of the master trusts that I talk to, where I don't know, crikey, if if it's not ninety nine percent in the default, it's probably ninety eight or ninety seven, or even in a really engaged scheme, you might get you might get down into the eighty percent. So I was really surprised that that mm. it was such a high number. That's an astonishingly high number. I'd be surprised yeah. if it was 3.6%, let alone 36%. And, you know, both Nico and I have worked for Master Trust. I've obviously worked for Smart and uh, worked for Peoples. And, yeah, it was like 99% of people in that default, you know, yeah. um, and, and, and that is the right place for them. Um, so, 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 Nico, um, does, mm. does, it, does this mean that... Um, you know, members aren't trusting. Let, let's let's take these let's let's take these figures at face value. Yeah, I'm not sure yeah. I quite believe them. Yeah, and I think there must be some way that the question was asked or the survey or something that I, I need to look into. But you know, is this is this a sign of the consumer not trusting the CIO? You know, well, huh. you, know, you you know, is the investment profession letting us down? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that is taking it at face value, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Well, obviously, obviously, we don't know the direction. So it could be that they've realised that they were useless and self-select and they've moved back into the default. Very true. Um, so particularly given that, you know, there well, were 15% of them making decisions last year, apparently. Um, yeah. So, although, uh, yeah. although it does say it does say that about half of the members who said they had made changes had made had done so occasionally. Um a third said they had made changes just the once and a sixth said they made the changes regularly and yeah. as i said i mean effectively if you're talking a sixth of 36 percent, that would imply that six percent of the people that were surveyed are making regular investment changes blimey which yeah. again i mean i i know there are i mean clearly there are a small cohort of members who are absolutely actively engaged and do make regular changes. We've all, we've all had those, we've all had those members in schemes that we've been involved with. But, but six percent of members making regular investment changes was was a rip shock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 
rather than talking about the result, it does the process to me seems like there must be a flaw somewhere. Um, probably in the headline writer, I imagine, knowing Barnet Waddingham, that the, the actual detail of probably the press release kind of caveats and caveats, and, and we find a specific population who are engaged and you know more engaged this year than last. Um, yeah, I mean, look, there's a general conversation about why people should make investment decisions. Um, and I hope that those people who are making choices are possibly in the run-up to retirement and they're starting to get the shape of retirement. No, there's a, there's a graph, Nico, that says it's, it's, more, it's more likely that people between 18 and 34 are making the switches. Yeah, so this is, from my um, libertarian paternalist perspective, you know, probably the most concerning age groups. Mm. Um, you know, those people uh, are likely to have multiple pension schemes stretching out into their future. So um, are they then going to keep those changes going when they've got five schemes down the line and they've got, you know, six schemes to, to, to make investment decisions in? Mm. Um, that's the use of the default is, you know, in, our, uh, in your 20s, you might have somewhere three, four, five jobs plus. Um, and if you have three, four, five schemes as a result of that, then, you know, you, you are going to be a busy, busy bunny making lots of investment decisions. Um, so, yeah, I hope, I would hope that at that age, maybe they're becoming more sustainable and they feel that they need to make those kind of choices um, uh, that, that the CIO isn't uh, or the trustee isn't. Um, but, um, yeah, if it's like pure asset allocation, then... I'd, I would worry about that quite a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to sort of understand if it was people moving to, you know, more sustainable funds or an ethical fund, um, yeah. you know, that, you know, because cause, cause there, there might be some logic in that. Um, yeah. But, you know, we we know that, you know, people do struggle with investment decisions. And, you know, you, you it's, 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 it's a time. And I think um, this was this was the experience of Sweden um, quite a few years ago now. Yeah, and um, you know, I'd, I'd looked at this when I was doing some dashboard research, but you know, it's sort of okay when people actively manage and engage. Yeah, and there was a lot of promotional activity in Sweden around you know take ownership of your pension, make choices, all of that. But then that promotional activity stopped, and people stopped engaging. Yeah, yeah. and it's almost like yeah. you know, um, where does the where does the ball end up on the um, the, the roulette wheel? You know, in terms of what fund you might be in. So, you know, investment is for life, not just for Christmas, isn't it, Nico? Oh, it certainly is. And, um, you know, I think there's a big issue with um, the kind of narrative that you get in the pub about investment, um, mm. because the only people who are really talking about it are the ones who got lucky in the last few months, right? Yeah. Um, so I've been through, I'm sure all of us have, lots of pub chats about how brilliant crypto is right um and nfts um and i'm i'm experiencing very little pub chat about crypto and nfts now um, <laughs> right and and all of those guys who uh felt on paper that they you know had multiplied 100 quid into many tens of thousands of pounds uh are strangely silent uh on on this topic now um i really hope because they're my friends but i hope in general that people haven't sort of put thrown kind of bad money after good is almost the analogy, isn't it? So they've sort of yeah, got yeah. belief that, um, you know, the, the adding a zero to their Bitcoin investment over 10 years or whatever um, should therefore mean that they need to remortgage their house and, and hope to add another zero. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, look, investment is a 
the, the, it's really easy to say that essentially the experts are no better at investment than the uh, the kind of retail consumer. And, you know, that's probably not far off the truth. Um, what the experts are doing is worrying about it all the time. And mm. the big issue about being a retail consumer is not that you might be good at it on the day that you do it, although there's a lot of jargon and technical stuff that you, you, you should probably be thinking about before you really try. Um, it's that you try it once, whether it succeeds or fails, you sort of forget about it. And then, you know, you're, who knows, in 20 years time, stuck in a portfolio that looks quite antiquated. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great story. Thanks for bringing that one um, across in. Um, Can we yeah. just extrapolate just briefly before we move on? So, so if it's true, what was the number? 30, 36%. 36%. So, so there are, what, 16 million DC members. Yeah. Yeah. So we're so, talking about five, six million people making yeah. an investment decision over the last 12 months. It, it doesn't say what the time period, it doesn't say the last time they took the survey it was 18 months ago. So so yeah. it, it doesn't actually say in the article um, what period and it's over. But and say, then we said say 18 sixth, months. Yeah. A sixth of those are doing it frequently. So maybe a million yes. people frequently yeah. trading in their DC schemes. Yeah. Um, wow. So there's a thing in uh, poker, which is if you're sat at the table and you don't know who the sucker is, you are the sucker. <laughs> um, and I, I just fear, you know, the, the public markets are full of sharks. Um, and I just fear that people will will struggle. Um, so, yeah, I hope that those that's would sort of exaggerated in the statistic. Mm. Um, yeah. The truth yeah. is that they changed contribution rates or, you know, they changed glide path and the approach to retirement or they moved on to a sustainable glide path or indeed that they're actually being, they've answered the question, have you made investment changes? And the actual answer is no, the, the investment changes were made to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it could be a whole bunch of other things that sort of got conflated. But yeah, I really hope it's not a million people who are basically day trading. <laughs> um, so I've got a piece which is from Pensions Age. Um, that was written up by Sophie Smith. Um, and this was about um, UK pension schemes raising concerns that the financial conduct authorities listing proposals could risk undoing stewardship progress. Um, and, 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 and this is a, you know, 10, 10, 10 pension schemes have co-signed a letter in response to the FCA's consult consultation on primary markets effectiveness. And, and it appears, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm sort of getting out of my comfort zone here in terms of my, my knowledge and expertise, but, you know, it, 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 you know what, what the letter's saying is that um, the proposals would roll back fundamental investor protections, such as the right to a shareholder vote on significant mm. and related party transactions, as well as the equal voting system rights that serve as the foundation, as they say, of a fair and democratic capitalist system. So I'm just wondering how this sort of chimes with you know, a couple of things. One, you know, if, if, if you water down the protections, surely you're making the UK a less attractive place to invest in. Yeah, um, from a, from a quality perspective. And we've talked on this podcast before about, um, you know, government desires to you know, get um, more pension schemes investing in the UK um, in whatever yeah. shape and form. But obviously, um, when it comes to the climate emergency when it comes to you know um company's role of stewards you know and there's been a lot of um you know talk about you know 
pension schemes need to be more active stewards of the economy, you know, um, vote on stuff more, you know, make sure the companies are going to be there in the longer term doing the right thing. You know, why would you look to reduce the, the stewardship requirements of, uh, or, or, the, or, or the potential for pension schemes to actually play an effective stewardship role? It just, it just seems odd. And it just seems to me that the left hand of our, our government and regulators don't sort of necessarily know what the right hand's doing. Am I reading yeah. that right? Um, well, look, so uh, they, we, we, we haven't talked about politics in a sort of broad sense. Um, I guess people go to Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart for that. But um, so, look, there's Brexit. We have to talk about Brexit. So why deregulate the UK? Um, it's because essentially this is, uh, you know, a, a, a right wing agenda. And that's not to say any sort of extremism. That's just the sort of the, the, the natural conservative uh, position. Uh, there's a free market agenda um, and all of the fettering of companies that those listing requirements, you know, might do are things that essentially have grown up over a period of time, but would, would have been imposed upon us by the EU. So now that we've got Brexit, we may well be a more attractive place for people to list um, as a result of essentially unfettering those those corporate CEOs. Um, I guess, as you're saying on the other side, you've got this uh, expectation of, uh, you know, pension scheme investors that they're going to be able to exercise voting rights. Um, and, you know, that's an important part of how they see their stewardship duties. Uh, that has evolved quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there's a number of investors who don't use those rights anyway. Um, but realistically, we're probably not talking about the kind of things that they might invest in anyway. I don't think these are UK corporations, you know, with operations here in the main. Uh, I suspect a lot of the investments would be kind of outside of the main uh, indices. Um, you need to be pretty large to, to get listed um, and uh, sorry, listed into one of those indices. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know how many pension schemes really would deal with the kind of main flow of IPOs. Um, and that's really what we're talking about, you know, raising more fees for investment banks um, to, to, for helping corporations around the world and capital pools around the world to, to, to get listed. So, mm. yeah, it's probably one to watch. Um, it's quite it's kind of hard to know without the kind of complication of the detail. Yeah. Um, well, I think I'd also note this. There is culture of what good governance looks like in terms of listing rules around the world. Um, so, you know, the, one of the big differentiations between the US and the UK is the, the corporates. Um, so the CEO, executive chairman, having having a chairman who's the CEO. Uh, lots of US corporations would have that um, in the UK and Europe. That would be very, very frowned upon. Um, so it could be that we're aligning to other territories. And, you know, I, I've always said there's no such thing as good governance rules. There's just good people within who understand the system. I was going uh, to I thought you were going to say there's no such thing as a good Brexit. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there probably could have been, but uh, that's that is the topic. That's that's for Rory and uh, Alistair. Together. It is, isn't it? Isn't it? Maybe we would do a VFM special on Brexit. You know, that could be. A good oh one. my goodness! Yeah. We'd have to do it. We'd have to do that remotely, Darren. We would. We'd probably end up murdering each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what have you got for Nick, us, Nico? Oh yeah, good question. So. <laughs> Because um, I've been out in France, so uh, I haven't really uh, been reading uh, the, the, the pensions press as closely as I might. Uh, but I did see um, the kind of headline of uh, XPS in discussions with SEI over NPT partnership. There's a lot of acronyms there, isn't there? There is. Um, so that, Trinity <laughs> Punter Southall, 
uh, with, well, I don't know, they are SEI, but obviously that's Scottish Equitable Investments. Um, no, 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 no. Scottish Equitable is part of, Scottish Equitable is part of Aegon now. No, SEI is a, a US, uh, US fund manager, um, was actually, was actually one of the first to launch a DC Master Trust in the UK space back in, crikey, about 2007, 2008, maybe. Um, so they have really? been. I did think uh, it yeah. had been floated off as part of the Aegon deal. I thought, oh, before no, that they no, had the investment no. on. Oh, well, there we go. There we go. So, we, so SCI, we day. Wikipedia tells me, is this right, Ian, that um, SCI Investments is, was formerly yep. Simulated Environments Inc. Wow. I, I didn't know. I didn't know that. I've only ever known them as SEI, to be Ooh. perfectly honest, Aaron. Interesting. Um, but, uh, we yeah, they, are uh, learning a huge amount. So yeah. the story. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and NPT is the National Pensions Trust, which is, is. XBS's Master Trust. Mm. Um, indeed. So uh, the story is that XBS has confirmed it's in discussions uh, to a possible partnership. Um, and I guess... The reason for raising it is that uh, so last week we had Andrew Warwick Thompson on the on the show saying that consolidation would continue to happen between master trusts, and I think he picked ten to fifteen as the kind of final mm. number, um, yeah. which is probably tighter than I imagined. Um, but uh, yeah, so here's here's one, and I think Darren, you spotted another one. Yeah, it was sort of hot on the heels of that um, corporate advisor um, who broke this last Friday. I think were absolutely on fire um, because they had. Um, my former colleague Smart um, saying they're in discussions with the Crystal Master Trust. So mm. you know, obviously, a lot of consolidation chat is happening at the moment. Um, is that what you're seeing yeah. in the market? In yeah, it, it's bound to happen. I mean, there are I think it's just just over thirty master trusts at the moment, and whilst about I think probably about ten of those would be in the bucket that I would call accidental master trusts. Mm. So these were the non-associated multi-employer schemes that got caught by the master trust regulation. And the FCA um, had an accidental master uh, trust, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> so so the FCA is indeed one of those master trusts. Um, so uh, so you've got about ten of those, and I suspect the as as the um, as the regulator continues to um, assess and monitor and look after these schemes and, and govern and, and sort of regulate these schemes, I suspect that the onus on some of those those accidental master trusts will come to the point where they are bound to look to to wind up, mm. bound to look to to throw their hat in the ring with one of the commercial master trusts. But then beyond that, um, you can then see some further consolidation because. It's reached the point now where if you haven't got five billion in assets, um, uh, are you are you going to make it for the long term? Mm. Um, and certainly, I mean, SEI have already gone through the process of of acquiring the Atlas Master Trust from Capita, so that that process is all well, maybe not quite complete, but but that that certainly is part of their um, part of their business now. Um, so interesting to uh, interesting to see further further consolidation on the on the cards. Yeah, and um, what do you think the sort of optimum number of master trusts actually is? Um, you know, do you have a view on that? <clears throat> um, I don't think there's an there's an optimum number. I, I I would imagine that fifteen would probably be a pretty good number to get to, mm. um, because you've got 
you you have some master trusts that are very much auto enrollment compliant vehicles yeah so the likes of nest the likes of the people's pension um they now to a certain extent but going for the mass markets lots and lots and lots of small employers you then have a, a small number of consultancy master trusts at the other end yeah. um, and then in the middle there are all of the insurers and providers um, so um, clearly for, for for a lot of these firms it's 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 actually about having a, an offering to the market and um, having a, a way of a way of acquiring assets um, and that's that's the most important thing for them so I suspect I suspect you'll end up with maybe somewhere around the 15 mark um, which actually isn't a huge it's not a huge reduction on the number of commercial master trusts that there actually are at the moment um, so maybe there will be another five or so that disappear but I think it's probably that much that's all and then you'll have these accidental master trusts that that uh, either continue to continue to just exist effectively as a standalone or throw their hats in the ring with one of the commercial ones it's um yeah. it's certainly a seller's market at the moment isn't it given the desire for master trust to grow so it's like arsenal trying to get declan rice from west ham i think we've <laughs> agreed a fee of 105 million pounds wow you know i think um, you know I, I really rate declan rice as a player brilliant player but um yeah that's a bit a bit racy isn't it yeah, did you see, uh, so the, the last Klimt uh, portrait was sold at auction yesterday on the day of recording uh, uh, for about 85 million quid. Um, and I just wonder if that's not a better investment. Um, but, uh, <laughs> well, I'd give you some change. It depends whether we win the league, Nico. It depends whether yeah, we well, win the league. <laughs> uh, we'll, be, we'll be catching up over the next 50 episodes on that. Topic. We will worry, we will worry, we will. <laughs> Um, so that's the news. Um, great discussion there. Some really interesting topics. So, um, Ian, like, tell us a bit about yourself. How did you get into pensions? Uh, I got into pensions by taking a three-month secondment back in 1988 to go into. Uh, I worked for an insurance company. I worked for Norwich Union at the time, and there, this this whole thing called contracting out and protected rights Ooh. and money purchase pensions was all kicking off and. They were looking for people to go and work in uh, work in a new building and and help set up these schemes and i thought oh three months three months doing that with a bit of overtime sounds good and i'm now nearly 35 years later um still involved with dc pensions so uh, so it's um it was yeah as as with so many people getting into pensions it was an accident but uh, but one that's that's ended up in uh, being a very a very enjoyable and happy career Excellent. And, 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 and give us some highlights of that career. So um, you're obviously CEO of Muse at the moment. Yeah. Um, you've been doing yeah. that for how long, roughly? Um, so I've been the CEO at Muse now for nearly four years. But right. I've been with Muse for about nine and a half years. Um, so joined, um, joined what was at the time the sort of like a founder owned business. So Avgi Gregory and Mark Hodgkinson, who had set up Muse. Yep. I came across in start of 2014, just as they were looking to um, effectively set the business up to to succeed their retirements um, and both both Mark and Avgi have now have now taken they've retired Mark went in in 2016 and Avgi stepped up to become chair in 2019 and mm. stepped off the board earlier this year so it's it's been um, it, it's been good to um, it's been good to be part of a business that has 
that has gone through the gone through the process of moving from a from a founder owned business into that second generation without having to sell up to one of the um, sell up to one of the, the the private equity firms or one of the big acquirers of businesses in this market. Mm-hmm. So we've managed to uh, we've managed to retain our our independence, um, which uh, which is is one of the things that our clients keep telling us is is really important. So uh, so we've that I think that's been a that's been a real highlight but my my background I I was a I was a DC administrator um so I've seen I've seen that done well and really badly in so many <laughs> different ways um ran a uh, ran a, a large one, ran one of the large third party administrators for a few years um and have um, and have been on the consulting side now for for about 22 years so with a couple of small firms with firm started off in consultancy with a firm called Dunnitshaw as Nico said earlier, spent about five years with Towers Watson, um, being part of their UK DC leadership team, yeah. and uh, and then Muse for yeah nearly nine and a half, nearly ten years now. Ah, interesting. So you've seen a lot then. <laughs> oh, I've I've seen all sorts. I've seen all sorts, mate. It's um, it's it, it's a fun market. I've I've really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed um, my my time in pensions, and I when I the time I spent in in. Towers Watson, obviously, you do sort of you to a certain extent you disappear from the market. You end up working on your your clients. Mm. And uh, when I came back out into the market and went back on the conference scene, I remember uh, I remember sort of commenting, "Well, crikey, it might be six years since I was last here, but it's all the same people. They just have different yeah. ba- they just yeah. have different <laughs> names on the badges." So uh, there's a there's a there's a lot of lot of people who I would call friends who work in this industry. Yeah. No, it's a very um, social and very friendly industry, isn't it? Um, uh, which is good. Um, so and um, small, right? So, uh, so one of the great things about DC pensions is that we all we all know each other, mm. um, which I think in in DB pensions is not is not the same. No, um, I think you can get you can get a bit lost. Um, yeah, I feel like uh, you know we're 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 all swimming in the same pond basically in DC. I think we are. I think we are, and. Um, you know, we we we've met. You know, we met. I think it was judging, wasn't it? You know, you're a bit yeah. of a judge extraordinaire, aren't you? In, you know, <laughs> you set high standards, which obviously you're carrying across from your day job. Yeah, absolutely. If if you're going to if you're going to be a judge for one of these industry uh, industry awards, it's it's not just about okay. It looks it looks good on the uh, on the submission. It's what's behind it. Mm. So the the thing that I guess I've always tried to do is. Is make sure that when when I've been a judge, it's it's to bring that that wider knowledge to the to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it's not always been the case. There's a there's a lovely story that that Leslie Carline tells about one of the judging meetings where Leslie and I, who who do a lot of work in in the admin space, were were judges, and we got outvoted um, as to uh, as to which firm should win it, and uh, and it was. Um, it, it it's it still it still goes down as one of uh, I think one of Leslie's most frustrating moments because because uh, <laughs> she was a judge and she was turning up at the awards and the winner and yeah. the the win the winner was announced and the question everyone was like really how did that happen <laughs> um, and it's like yep yeah, don't ask us anyway yeah. <laughs> collective responsibility absolutely yeah, that's what it absolutely is, yeah. nothing to do with us anyway no it's fine. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, I've, I, so my, my, did you ever do the, um, so Towers Watson sponsored uh, pensions journalism or uh, financial services journalism they did. award. Did you judge that? I, 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 I did one judging there and I, that was so rewarding uh, yeah. because the articles were really good. It was quite a difficult decision. And then when you went to the actual prize award show, uh, it meant so much to the people who won the awards in a way that, yeah. you know, I think we've all seen people kind of rather roll their, their eyes a bit uh, yeah. at these sort of uh, corporate awards. But yeah, the individual awards in that journalism award were, were, were fantastic. It, it really makes it makes a difference when when there is a when there is a real there's some real criteria and there's some some real sort of um, sort of uh, rigor to the to the judging process. Um, it does. It does mean a lot to the people who who win. So um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 it awards awards are only part of it. Obviously, it's it's what you do on a day to day basis, which is the most important thing, and how you deal with clients and and with pensions. The, the biggest thing with pensions is how do you deal with how do you deal with the things that go wrong, because yeah. stuff goes wrong, especially in DC pensions. Yeah, people. That mistakes happen whether it's a mistake with payroll whether it's a mistake with an investment things go wrong so it's it's actually it's how do you then put it right and yeah. how do you deal with the member and sort out the member and that's the thing that i've always said in whatever role i've been involved with it's it's actually mistakes happen we try to avoid them but the reality is they do happen people are people are humans and there's still too much human intervention in a lot of these processes but that's fine. What do we do now? When? We, how do we get it right? And how do we make sure the members are, are looked after? Uh, it all comes. It all comes back to the members ultimately. It, it, it does, yeah. doesn't it? And 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 your your point there about human intervention is an interesting one because you know I think we've covered it on the pod a bit. But the news of Capita getting hacked um, with their cyber breach, yeah. And mm-hmm. um, you know, the more we digitise stuff, the more potential that there is that to, for that to happen. And and these criminals are very very sophisticated. And I think, you know, yes, no one wants to be hacked. We need to protect people's data, all of that type of stuff with the higher standards. But stuff does happen. Yeah. You know, um, big yeah. companies can get, get hacked. And I think, you know, for me, quite often it's about how you respond to events like that and how you put things right that you should just yeah. be judged by. Um, because as you say, like, stuff can just happen to anyone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, I suspect that pretty much every single administrator in the uh, and big firm in the country is is looking at the looking at what happened with Capita and and there will be questions being asked. It's like, could this have happened to us? How can we make sure it doesn't happen to us? What can we do to 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 uh, to improve our security to yeah. to make sure that we are protected? And and that's that's a never ending it's a never ending game, isn't it? Because the hackers are always looking to get one step ahead. They're always looking for the next. The next way in the next um, fallibility in in some software um, so so you you just there is a there is a there but for the grace of god go we i think across the industry yeah. that, that it wasn't them but yeah. i suspect that i suspect that um actually for from an industry point of view it's about how do we all learn from what happened in that particular instance to try and make sure that that we aren't impacted again yeah yeah i could imagine a lot of companies breathed a sigh of relief and thought oh thank goodness it wasn't us <laughs> yeah it yeah. could have happened to yeah. anyone it um, could absolutely so um, so go on nico <laughs> 
So, Ian, <laughs> our third question for yes. all of our guests is, of course, uh, what is value for money and what does it mean to you? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because um, I, I did listen to Andrew Warwick Thompson last week and, um, and Andrew obviously was, was coming from the point of view of a master trust provider and I think bemoaning maybe the, uh, the fact that so many, uh, so many decisions were made purely on price. Um, and I guess our experience, and, I, and maybe it is because of the sort of firm we are, maybe it's because we're not, we don't spend our lives with a, a whole host of DC clients on a retained basis. We go in, we help them um, as, a, as an independent advisor to make sure that they are making the right choice around their, their master trust selection. Um, mm. But we've not had a single case yet where the quote that's come in with the cheapest price has been the one that has been successful. Mm. Um, the, we spend we spend time really understanding from our from our clients' point of view what is it that's really going to make a difference. And we do this. We work with the sponsors because obviously future pension provision is a is a corporate responsibility. But we we work with the trustees as well. It tends to be joint working groups such that you can make sure that that actually both the the sponsor for the go forward and the the, the trustee for the existing assets that they are all brought on the journey and that that it, that actually that breadth of the service is is taken into account so yes the investment performance the investment setup is really important it may be that the ESG angle is is really important for some clients. Certainly, some we've worked with have been really really focused on making sure that the master trust they they picked is at the leading edge in terms of ESG. Um, but actually, it then comes down to the quality of the administration service that sits behind it, because you can have the best scheme in the world. But if the administration service isn't great, then funny enough, if the members are going to complain. Mm. And if you've got a good scheme and the admin does the job, then have you got the right communications, the right engagement? Uh, is your provider actually willing to go and spend time out on site with, with, your, with your members? Because we all know that um, if you if you ask members, if you send stuff to members, whether you send that in paper or you send it through email or some sort of electronic communications, a proportion will engage. If you actually go and talk to people, if you actually go and sit in front of them and tell them about it, you, you talk to them about, actually you do realise that this scheme, um, you've been put in at this sort of like four and a 4% 4 contribution from you, 8% for from the company. But actually, if you put in 6%, the company would put in 12. Mm. So yeah. it, do you want this free money? Yes, it costs you a couple of percent. And why, by the time you've taken off your tax relief, actually, it doesn't really cost you a lot but but there's another four percent which will go straight into your pension it's free money just about free money so why would if you sit in front of people that's not advice but it brings it to life um and therefore having a provider that has the ability to go and do that or has the team that's that's out there on the road who can go and talk to members is really important um, so, so it's it's all of those angles that come together to create what what delivers value for money, mm. and and ultimately delivers value for the members. Um, mm. It's not it's not just about price. It it, it never has been about price, um, yeah. but 
but but the market is incredibly competitive and we talked about when we were talking about the consolidation um, that schemes are trying to get enough assets to be credible to 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 ensure that they succeed and that they survive and they're not one of the ones that ends up being swallowed up by by one of the bigger firms so so it is really really competitive at the moment and um, it, it's very clear that some of the the very strict pricing regimes that were put in place on on day one where especially around the providers the insurers where certainly if you think back to when stakeholder came in some of the break even and break even even business cases were sort of almost 10 15 years out yep. with master yep. trust they were a lot more they were much stricter at the start and it was like no it has to it has to pay for itself in a reasonable period of time and it, it just feels in some cases like some of those some of those collars are being loosened a bit and it's like oh well we can give it an extra few years right. um and and i do uh, it does worry me that that actually we are dumbing down the solution um again andrew warwick thompson was talking about adding in private market um investments mm -hmm. last week and the fact that that comes with a price tag um all of this all of this potentially has a has a really good um a, a really positive outcome for members in terms of what they will get at the end um but ultimately ultimately it means it might cost a little more in the in the short term um yeah. so 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 that's that for me it, it's actually it really is about it's about focusing on making sure that actually the whole part it's not just the investment part yes that's important but but there's an awful lot of um there's an awful lot of similarity between a number of the master trusts when you look at the investments in terms of what they're doing i know it's starting to it's starting to differentiate a little bit more now yeah. but very very slowly and very much around the edges mm. so, so it's actually it's everything else yeah so just just on your that sort of first point you made to you yeah. know you've not uh, the cheapest hasn't ever won. Yeah. I wonder, do, do you know what the sort of, what the premium on the, you know, that the winner can charge, you know, for good quality over the cheapest is? I mean, are we talking, it's not the cheapest, but they are all within two or three basis points, or are we seeing, you know, 10, 15, 20 basis points? Being picked no, it, it, it's, it's single digit. It's relatively low single digits. I think probably in some cases, it's, it's maybe a couple of basis points. In others, it's maybe as high as four or five. Um, it does it does depend where the scheme is coming from, um, yeah. because obviously, for the no consent transfer, um, whilst whilst it doesn't have to be the same price or cheaper from from a member point of view, um, it, it's many trustees are a little bit more cautious when the when the costs are increasing yeah um you can you can absolutely justify it because actually in terms of value for members we're going from an old style um very poor online service no engagement um no sort of uh, no sort of support around the the membership to 
new style online engagement apps, great, great support around the, the face to face and around the, the retirement solution. So you can justify an increase in the cost when you're doing that comparison. But but it's very difficult to justify an increase in, in cost that's that's anything more than sort of several basis points, maybe five, six, seven basis points you can justify. But it's very difficult to if you're if you're currently your default fund is currently a 15, a 15 basis point or maybe a 20 basis point. It's very difficult to then go to a go to a master trust that's charging 30 basis points for the for the default fund. And then uh, that's that's really helpful to understand, I think. Um, so so tight. <laughs> sure. It, it is. It is um, tight. Ian, um, Ian, are you do you track? Have you seen just how gen in general pricing has has moved over the last, say, 10 years? Um, has yeah. it got tighter? Because because essentially ab- it, it's two to five basis points. Yeah. But that band has pulled down, essentially. Yes. It is. Um, so and, it, and it's the interesting the interesting thing of that is actually is the schemes that the schemes that went to Master Trust back in 2015, 2014, 2015, 2016. Actually, the providers, the providers that have retained those Master Trusts are the ones who've been proactive around reviewing the pricing, um, yeah. because if 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 you wrote a piece of business back in 2015 and and you wrote it at I don't know, say thirty-four basis points, which wouldn't have been unusual at all back then for a for a for a hundred million pound type scheme. Um, the chances are that nowadays, for the same scheme, because the master trusts have grown, you're probably going to be paying I don't know, maybe twenty-five, twenty-six. Um, and actually, some of the master trusts have been very good at offering those reductions up as the scheme has gone along, um, and and where those haven't been offered proactively and it's come down to the client coming back and saying oh how have things moved in terms of the market Mm -hmm. that's where that's where we see that's where we see clients being a little bit oh well so you've been overcharging our member then have you so um um, so that's we've we have seen that that come in because the just the scale of these these vehicles is now that much bigger What's your view on um, alternative charging structures, Ian? Because we, you know, we've been talking in terms of basis points and AMCs and the like, but you know, especially for the the mass market master trusts, you know, increasingly they're using flat fees or contribution charges, and obviously that helps with the um, financial sustainability of the scheme. But do, do, do you think it's complicating that assessment and? You know, is is an AMC only the way the best way to charge for pensions, or do you sort of welcome um, alternative structures? I think there has to be alternative structures to make some of this to make it viable for the smaller schemes. Um, I, I guess we tend to we we've done we've worked with schemes all the way down to a brand new scheme with just 57 members mm. so clearly that went that went into a different part of the market and and the charging structure there was was a, a mixture it was a it was a flat fee plus a plus an amc yeah. um because that actually made sense um but for so so in in that market having options i think is really important when you get to the bigger end of the market um it it's pretty much all flat amc stuff now yeah. they, there's very little uh, there's very little extra 
um, and that that just that's that's cleaner for uh, for a lot of um, for for a lot of schemes. We do get the odd instance where um, where there has been a, a particular um, if if there's been a, a particularly low basis point charge for the for the investment in the past, and the company is still keen to move across to the master trust then we have seen some instances where there is a proportion of the fee paid by the company um, such that the, the member charge is actually um, is, is the, the member cost the AMC is, is kept to a, a level that the trustees can be happy with. Um, but that's that's quite rare. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I think um, one of the questions I did have for you, Ian, was mm-hmm. you, know, you obviously work very closely with your clients to sort of understand their needs and wants. From, from the pensions offering um, and, it's, and it's probably not just um, you know can it, can we be compliant from an auto enrollment perspective you know I'm, I'm imagining people who come to you to for, for advice and that support um, you know you know are interested in providing good member outcomes yeah yes and um, yeah. how do you how do you help um, those schemes or those employers sort of navigate through the different features and how do you sort of advise clients in terms of what's important and you know how do you separate the wheat from the chaff on this stuff yeah it's it's um it's an interesting one i guess it comes comes at it from two angles so clearly understanding what is important to, as I said, I talked earlier about talking to both the sponsor, the corporate and the trustee, because they will have different, they will have different views and different requirements. So making sure all of those points uh, are out on the table is really important up front. Um, And, and some of the points that they'll come up with are, well, actually, do you know what? It doesn't really matter because all of the firms you're going to be looking at tick those boxes. Mm. So they're, they're just, they're the givens. They're, they can be taken away. Um, we, we're not, um, some, some people in this market will send out an RFP to a dozen firms. Um, that's not our style. Um, we've, we research the market. We talk to these master, the master trusts all the time. So we know what they're looking for in terms of their clients. We know what their sweet spots, sweet spots are. And therefore, what we're looking to do actually when we're talking to a client is, yes, we talk through the full list, but actually there's a given your requirements and and given the priorities of those requirements, um, actually, these are these firms are never going to meet your needs. So it's pointless going and sending them an RFP. So we don't waste the providers times. They appreciate that. And what it means is that we start with a much smaller list and then you can really start to focus in at that point on what are the things that are going to make the difference what are the areas of differential in terms of the offerings so it may be for example that if if someone is is interested to understand well yes it it has to do all of this but actually what what else does the master trust have around employee well-being and financial financial well-being and education Um, and clearly there are slightly different solutions out there and and those those solutions work in different ways from the sort of the, the likes of a widow, Scottish widows, that has the link in with Lloyd's banking group. Mm. So there's there's some some specifics there versus whether it, I don't know whether it be a cushion or a, a, a Mercer or a life site, which have all slightly different slightly different aspects to it. And then you can start to see well actually which of those is most important to the decision makers um, uh, who those who are actually making the the choice as to the future future scheme 
And, and, and do you think the, the, the government's proposed VFM framework that it's consulting on at the moment, and um, I think we, we, we should be expecting a response from the government within the next couple mm. of weeks. So cue mm. another VFM special. I know. Uh, Nico, uh, we need to get that booked in. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> I know. Is it? Yeah. Um, do, do, you think it's, do you think they get it, Ian? Do you think um, this, this, this framework will help? Or do you think it will hinder in terms of you know, how you go about your business and how you go about advising people? I don't think it will make a huge difference to what what we do because I would I would like to think that that what we're doing with our clients and our, and what our clients are looking for is already going to be at least as good as anything that that, that they come up with and yep. and hopefully a lot better. The, all of so much of what the government is putting out it's it's trying to it's trying to put things out to um to bring if you like bring the floor up um and and to sort of type to to flush out all of the smaller poorly run schemes um and and let's not be around the bush there are some there are some really well-run small schemes out there but there are some really poor ones as well yeah. um there are there are lots of schemes where where actually all of us would love to get our hands on them and and help improve improve situations for for members but but there's no desire to engage from from anyone involved in the schemes so that's that's where the government's clearly trying to uh, to to make its mark um, and the challenge is about, well, actually, is that message ever going to get heard by the people who, who it's aimed at? Yeah. It's also, what, 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 why this mechanism, right? If you, if you want to consolidate those schemes, Just do it. is this really yeah. right to... It, it's, the sort of, it's trying, to, it's trying to, uh, to use a little bamboo stick where actually a, a cricket bat, uh, to, to go back to, uh, to Darren's favourite subject, a cricket bat might actually be the best solution. Now, my favourite subject's Arsenal, Ian. <laughs> that's all right well you've obviously got 105 million burning a hole in your pockets at the moment well 170 because <laughs> they bought um have uh, as well uh, oh of course yes i mean that's a lot of cash anyway <laughs> what we would do, is it value for, will it be value for money well what what, what well, quote could i get for 170 million quid as a pension scheme that's we're now into the low 20s is that right oh uh, I, I suspect you you're down in the low 20s and with some of the providers it will be into the into the high high teens well um, there we go there's a message for arsenal yeah, um, yeah you know maybe absolutely. just stick that into a master trust and uh, <laughs> you get profit from it indeed, indeed. <laughs> or by that glimpse portrait that's the <laughs> Or two of them. With 170 million, wasn't it? There we go. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so, um, so, so do, do you do employ. So, so, one of the things that we have focused on a bit on the podcast is who is the VFM framework actually for? Mm. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I just would like to sort of pick your brains on that. Because, you know, if you, like I think you indicated in, that, you know, the, the, the people you're working with and what you're doing, yeah, um, you know, the employer, the schemes, they're taking it seriously. Yeah. Obviously, you know, member outcomes, value for money, um, you know, member experience, all of that stuff, you know, is, yeah. you know, that's that's what you're advising people on, yeah? Absolutely. So, so, so the government, you know, the, the, the framework isn't going to make that much difference, let be, let's be mm -hmm. honest, in terms of what you're doing. But, but is it for employers? Yeah. Is it for members? Or is it, um, 
you know, or is it an industry thing so we can all sort of peer over the fence and, you know, um, see what the competition is looking like? Um, <clears throat> so if the, the value for money framework has been far too focused on just purely on costs, mm. uh, ultimately it's been, and because, because everybody can focus everyone focuses on things that they can actually understand so things that they can directly compare so the costs they can directly compare the investment performance they can directly compare they might be comparing apples and pears but they can still look at two numbers and say oh that one's better than a is better than b um yeah. the the what it should be about is actually focusing on the members and i guess that's where we think that the independence that we bring is most is is most valuable mm. because because from a member point of view um it is it, take take a member who is looking to consolidate their um looking to consolidate their pensions um I know it's been mentioned on a number of these podcasts and you've had you've had Romy on as well about but pensions B isn't cheap but people love it yeah people like what it gives them they they really like the the intuitive way that it works they like the service they like the the they like all the tools that they get with it mm. so people people are prepared to pay um a a high price for for a a solution if it delivers them something that they enjoy and they like and that's i think from from our point of view it's about trying to make sure and and we've 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 sort of we've um articulated our view of the master trust market certainly at the the sort of like the leading edge of it it's a bit like an arms race because Everyone is developing their products at the moment. They're adding new features. They're adding more engagement, more communications. They're doing things around the admin. They're doing things around apps, the online solutions and everything. And, and everyone is trying to just get one step ahead and trying to, to sort of like to have that. What's the killer, the killer feature that will mean that we win this next big client? Um, and that makes a difference to the members it makes a difference in terms of how they how they engage with their pension and if if a if the master trusts actually can get to the point where members are consolidating their previous pots into the master trust where they're probably paying 20 25 even maybe 18 basis points all in for everything as opposed to consolidating into something like pensions B, where they'll be paying three, four times as much as some of those numbers, surely that's got to be really good value for um, value for members. That to me is what, what we should be as an industry. That's what we should be looking for. We should be aiming for for a position where members actually want to bring their pots together because mm. they have a tool that makes it easy for them it allows them to plan it allows them to actually prepare for their future life and to to approach to approach what comes after work with with the confidence that that they they should have oh, fantastic so so we had yeah. our longest um episode last week 
yeah, with um, Andrew <laughs> Warwick Thompson, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and 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 we're getting quite we're not we're not close yet. We're ten minutes away from that that record, but you know, it is a it is a nice let's bit. let's leave let's leave Andrew with let's leave Andrew with the one <laughs> we can definitely we, we don't need to we don't need to go absolutely. Have, 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 we, have we missed anything, Ian? Oh, I could talk about I could talk about DC and value for money for hours, mate. Uh, but we no, know, we I, know. I think, yeah, exactly as 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 we have over a over a um, a pint of something every now and then. Um, no, yeah. I'm I I think from from my point of view, it's 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 very much about as an industry, how do we how do we all work together? Yes, obviously we work for competing firms, but we're all trying to achieve the same thing. Mm. Um, and mm. and if we if we as an industry actually can communicate, can learn, and uh, and can can actually improve what is being delivered to members, um, that's got to be uh, that's got to be the best outcome for everybody. And that's a great point on which to to end the the the, the, the podcast. I would say, Do you agree, Nico? Yeah, 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 yeah. But Ian, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's been really really interesting listening to you. And, been uh, been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, gents. Thank you. So, um, have you got anything coming up, Nico? Anything you want um, How's your well, how, How's your spat with the actuaries? Uh, my spat. Well, the logjam has cleared. Oh. Um, and whether that's due to my pressure or just uh, natural, I was going to say uh, tectonic forces. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the election will be held uh, next week. It will start next week, and uh, it will be an unusually long election period. Um, so yeah, I, I I will be canvassing. People will be sick of hearing uh, how brilliant I am as a potential candidate. Um, so uh, I won't cover that. But uh, yeah, so that's that's really the only thing coming up for me. Cool. How about you? Well, good luck for that. Good luck with that. So I'm on a webinar uh, next week, um, uh, being organised by Mark Pemberley from uh, Buck Trustees. That's taking place or being broadcast next Tuesday, and um, he's going to be asking me about value for money, Nico. So, oh um, really? Yeah, oh, which is, that's which is good. So, about that. Oh, I don't know really. Like, um, you know, if you if you read Henry's blogs, then probably not. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, no, so looking, I, for, looking forward to that and having the um, the boot on the other foot. You'll be you'll be plagiarizing twenty four uh, twenty four podcasts, exactly. mate, I suspect. And and I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> listen to this one back, um, Ian, to, to 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 make sure I include some of your very sage words. So, um, so that brings today's fun to a close. Um, we're doing this one remotely as uh, Nico's in France, but thanks um, as always to DG Publishing who provide us for the pod bit of the podcast and when we can do these in person. Uh, thank you, Ian, again uh, for joining us today. Um, so we've got some great guests uh, lined up coming, uh, including Ros and Adrian Gordy, who's going to be talking to us about CDC. Look at um, yeah, <laughs> no, no, very much looking forward to that uh, CDC discussion. Um, and yeah. I, I think that, you know, we're going to have a, a swathe of consultation responses coming through from, mm. from DWP over the next couple of weeks. So, um, you know, there might be some stuff that Adrian can talk to us about in terms of the direction of travel and whether CDC is going to be the answer to all of our pension problems. Now, <laughs> uh, is it to, okay, with a, to I... a man with a hammer? Everything looks like a nail. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, Ian, you were going to say? 
I was going to say it takes me back to a blog I wrote in 2014. If CDC is the answer, what exactly was the question? What's the question? Um, yeah. Yeah, indeed. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks again. We we'll look forward so, to that controversy. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Um, thanks very much, Ian, for joining us. Um, absolute superstar. Um, really glad to hear that things are going well at Muse and um, really good to have a very broad discussion around value for money and um, you know, what you're doing to, 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 to support employers, to support trustees in, in, in terms of delivering the best for their members. Thank you for having me on, guys. No worries. So, um, next next week, um, we'll be doing another podcast. Um, looking forward to that. Um, but until next time, it's goodbye from me. And it's bye from me, Ian. And it's goodbye from me.